technology. James chapter 5. Cold enough for everybody? Tell you what, I'm ready for August. <clears throat> well, maybe not August. Yeah. Well, let's open with a prayer. Father, we ask for your blessings. Lord, I pray that, Lord, as you met with us in the first hour, I pray, oh God, for your presence in this hour, I pray that you would speak to us. Father, I pray that we've come with that expectation. Lord, I pray that we would never simply come to church, Father, as a, an empty habit, Father, or to fill a square, and then to go back to our lives of living in the world and to give no thought of Thee. Lord, I pray that we would consider this a time to be instructed by You, to be reproved, to be corrected, Father. Um, and so, Lord, we ask for Your help. Forgive us for our sins. Oh, God, I pray that, Lord, we would always remember the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, Father, as we just heard in the reading of the Scriptures of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, and to know that He lives today, ever living to make intercession for us, Father, as long as we are in this life, we give You the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> James 5. We'll read 13 to 15. This whole section actually is the emphasis from 13 to 18 is on praying, on prayer. But we'll just get to verse 15 today. James writes, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he or she, obviously, have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. So the emphasis... For you, if you are one of God's people, if you're born again by the Spirit of God, I think the whole emphasis of verse 13, first of all, is that you will pray in all seasons of your life. That you will be one who prays when things happen in your life that are what we might call a, an unplanned providence or something that's very difficult. You pray. When you're merry and of a cheerful heart, you praise God. You boast of God. You give Him the glory for it. And then James talks about this being sick. And then he says, and this is different, you call for the elders or the pastors of the church and you call them to pray for you. So pray when you're afflicted and tried, going through difficult times. When you're merry and of a cheerful heart, sing psalms. Praise God. That's what we should do. Thank the Lord for what He's done. That's a form of praying in itself. When you're weak, and I think this verse 14, 6, is speaking of someone who's gravely ill. Someone who's laid on their backs, perhaps looking death in the face. And I think that's what James is speaking of. And that's when he says, call for your pastors to pray for you. If you only have a pastor, you call for your pastor, but you call for those men to pray for you and over you. I think there are, or there have been among us all, these times. We've all been in these times, and so we all need prayer. Turn to Psalm 62. Let me just show you something. I think this is a good backdrop to start. Psalm 62, one of my favorite songs. In fact, if I can remember, we'll sing this psalm at the end of this service, but Psalm 62 and verse 1. <clears throat> 62 and verse 1. The psalmist writes, Truly my soul waiteth upon God. What it literally means is, is my soul is silent and still unto God. 
Like when the scripture says, I think in Psalm 4, be still. Well, maybe it's Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. So in the presence of God or knowing that God is our God and that God is our Father, beloved, in whatever state you're in, there should be a stillness in our spirits, a calmness, a settledness that God is our God. So truly my soul waiteth upon God. From him cometh my salvation. Drop down to verse 5. He says again, my soul wait thou only upon God. And it's like saying, only be silent to God, O my soul. So my soul wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. God is the ground of all my hope. He is, he only is my rock. See that word only. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Verse 8 kind of goes, I think, with verse 13 of James chapter 5. Trust in him at all times, ye people, or you people of God. If you're a child of God, if you're a saint of God, you ought to trust God at all times. It doesn't matter what's going on. Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him in prayer. If you've poured out your heart in prayer unto God, you know what that means. It's like telling God all. You ever been with somebody and you said, I just got to tell you everything that's in my heart. You might be with a friend or your husband or your wife. I got to tell you everything. Beloved, that's how you need to pour out your heart to the Lord. Tell him all. Because that's how we ought to pray. You can see Hannah did that in 1 Samuel. God is a refuge for us. Selah. And so, beloved, trust in him at all times. In afflictions, in hardships, when you're cheerful, when there's success, when there's prosperity, and yes, when you're gravely ill. And I think that's what this sickness speaks of in verse 14. So in every situation or providence that God brings into your life, my brethren, you should be praying. We should be a praying people. I can't drill that into your minds with, with, without more effectiveness that should underscore your entire Christian life, beloved, is that you should be a people of prayer, of praising God, of resting by faith in what he has assigned to you for this day. God assigns his providences to you each day. He assigns to you what he will have you to live through or live in by faith this, this day. And so I pray that you'd see that. The Lord taught the people of God taught his apostles, Luke 18, 1, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. To faint means to lose heart. When we don't pray, we're losing heart. We're losing trust in God. He says men ought always to pray. That word always, you know what that means? If you look it up, you can look it up in your concords. It means every when. When? Every when. So men ought always to pray. And then in Philippians 4, he says, rejoice evermore. That word evermore also means rejoice every when. Rejoice evermore. Um, he says, let your moderation be known unto all men. Or actually, Philippians 4 says, that was 1 Thessalonians. Philippians 4 is, um, <clears throat> I'm forgetting what, Philippians and 1 Thessalonians are very similar. But Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4 says this. I'll correct myself here. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Rejoice evermore is 1 Thessalonians 5.16. But rejoice in the Lord always, every when. So always rejoice. Let your moderation or your calmness of mind. Let your moderation, your calmness of mind and your trust in the Lord be known unto all men. Let it be known that you trust the Lord. <clears throat> the Lord is at hand. Be careful or be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests 
be made known unto God. In everything, in every providence, in every difficulty, in every hardship, in every success, in every sickness, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which is beyond all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds. Listen, if you're a Christian, that's the relationship you should be fostering with God, cultivating with God. You say, well, I don't have that. You should. If you're not someone who prays, Christians pray. They pray every day to the Lord. And I'll tell you that the scriptures will teach you how to pray, but the only way you will learn to pray effectively is to pray. And to actually believe that you are praying to a person, to a God, to the Father in heaven. You must pour out your heart to him. You must speak to him like he is real because he is. I don't like when I hear people say, well, I'm going to say my prayers. We don't say prayers, beloved. We pray. We commune with God. We speak to him. You must enter in by faith with God yourself. And you must pray to him alone and have him teach you with the word of God. You must have a relation. Your relationship with God is not my relationship with God. I have a relationship with God and I pray. He is my friend. He is my father. He is my God. He must be that with you. And you must have that with him. First Thessalonians is where it says rejoice evermore. That means every when as well. Then he says pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. What's this? It's whatever, wherever you're at. You say, this is a very difficult time. I'm gravely ill. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. How can I be thankful for that? You know, sometimes folks think it's terrible that this beloved one, father, mother, sister, brother, is laid on their backs with cancer. Well, no, it's not. It's what God has assigned to them. And God gives us those times in grave sickness to do business with him. When he gives us time, perhaps before we die, he's giving us time. He's giving us space. That's better than dying suddenly. When someone instantly dies. A good friend of mine, he was saved. He died instantly. Gave his wife a kiss, was going out to do something in the yard, and died. I mean, instant death. He was in eternity. Now, if I had my druthers, that's the way I would like to go. But we don't get to pick. But it's a mercy for both you and for your family when God does lay you up and give you time. And so I think that's part of what James is speaking of. In fact, verse 14 he says there, if you turn back to James 5.14, <clears throat> and that's why I believe this is not just any old sickness that you call for the elders of the church. If that was the case, then Randy and I would have to, we'd be all over the place if everybody got little sniffles. And I don't think that's what this sickness is speaking of, a typical cold or sniffles. But this is an illness or a sickness that is perhaps terminal and could result in death. Some of us have been on our backs in a bed and death's looking us in the face. Perhaps it wasn't terminal, but as a result of being in the hospital, you could die. And so God uses those times. And how do I know this was a really bad sickness? Because here, this sick one calls for the elders or the pastors of the church to come and pray over him or her. Please come and pray for me. And that's the first thing I want you to see in verse 14 is that it is the one who is sick who calls. Now, sometimes the elders or the pastors are just, they're just going to show up and there's nothing wrong with that. But see the faith in the saint that's sick to call themselves. And it shows that they desire to meet with the one that cares for their souls. Listen, you who are believers in Christ, and this is you might think this is a strange place to go with this, but I hope you can see the importance of being committed and devoted to a local New Testament church in this. I hope you'll see that. 
Some say, well, I don't need the church. Well, then who do you call when you're like this? Because you don't really have a pastor. And Ephesians 4 tells us that God gives gifts to his churches. And one of those gifts is he gives pastors for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, for the caring of the body of Christ. So I hope you'll see here the importance of having a pastor or an overseer. Listen, a lot of folks, when they hear that word submit, because the scriptures teach if if you're a member of a local New Testament church and you're born again, let me, don't get the cart before the horse, but listen, the prerequisite to being a member of a local New Testament church is you're born again by the Spirit of God. You're baptized. Then, you, then you, you're added to the church. Acts chapter 2. But some will say, surprisingly, you'll meet some that profess to be Christians and they'll say, no, I don't think I should need to be, I don't think I should... I don't think I should have to make that commitment. That's strange. Listen. If you're saved, born again by the Spirit of God, you should be devoted to Christ and devoted to Christ's church. And you should be thankful that God gives you pastors and overseers to watch for your soul. If you're not saved, you may go to church and you may sit under a pastor... But until you turn from your sins to Christ in repentance and faith, you actually don't have a pastor till you're added to the church. Now listen, I've prayed with dying people at the bed, their bedsides whom I was not their pastor. But I'm not going to deny them that. I was called when we used to minister at a nursing home. But think about those who profess to be saved and they're not committed members of a local New Testament church. You don't actually have a pastor. And listen, some, again, surprisingly regrettable, they want it that way. There's a problem when a Christian doesn't want accountability. When a Christian doesn't want to submit themselves to the church of Christ. To you who are believers and members of this local church, I hope you see from this passage the importance of having a pastor. I'm not saying Randy and I are anything special, but God has called us to care for your souls, to pray for you daily, to minister to you. So I hope you can see the importance of having pastors, men who shepherd you, who watch for your soul, who pray for you daily. And that's what they should do. We should do. Now, if we went around and took a poll, I could probably ask every one of you, how many of you have a PPP? You know what that is? Primary care physician. I could tell you who mine is. I know his name. Everybody got a PPE? Usually, for the most part, we know. I know who my PPP is. I know who my primary care physician is. We trust them, don't we? In fact, if we got a bad one, we leave that doctor's office and we go to another one. My kids are trying to get my wife and I to leave one. He's a good doctor. He's just getting kind of old. But anyway, <clears throat> we trust them. When we're sick, we go to them. And they take a little paper out and they write a little what? Prescription. They give it to us and we go get the medicine. We trust them and we go and we take our medicine and bottom line, we trust the medicine, don't we? But do we trust God? So we trust our primary care physicians to give us the right medicine and that we'll be healed. And there's nothing wrong with calling your primary care physician. You should. You should call your primary care physician. But you must not fail to call your other PPP your primary care pastor when you're gravely ill. Listen, you should pray. Yes, we trust the medicine. We pray it'll be effective. But listen, sometimes people get sick and they give them the right medicine. And it doesn't matter what they give you. You've heard of that? We've got doctors who've tried everything and they die. Medicine will avail nothing if it's not for the power of God to heal us. Mm -hmm. And listen, how often are we sick? I'm talking about just, you know, 
normal sickness. How often do we get sick and we only trust the medical doctors and we don't trust the Lord? Yeah, we take the medicine and we get sick, but I can tell you, you wouldn't get well unless God made you well. And God healed you from the slightest colds, beloved. <clears throat> we must not fail, beloved, if we're gravely ill. And listen, if you're gravely ill, yeah, you need to call the ambulance, you need to call your doctor, but you need to call your pastor too. I'll tell you that. You should. Look at Hebrews 13, 17. Just turn there. Hebrews 13, 17. The writer of Hebrews says, Obey them that have the rule over you. That's where most of it stops for some. They say, I'm not going to submit myself to someone who I'm, I must obey. That should not be our hearts, beloved. He says, submit yourselves to them, for notice they watch for your souls. The doctor watches for your body, but your pastor watches for your souls. And that's why it's important that you have one and that they know you. You're to know them. And listen, as much as a lot of folks really like to be really private in their lives, I'm not telling anybody anything about you, well, you should get to know your pastor and your pastor should get to, get to know you. Why? They watch for your souls. They help you. They give you counsel. They pray for you. You should be able to confide in them. You should. You should be able to trust your pastor like you trust your doctor. I mean, how often when they give you a prescription do you go really, do you, do you go research the medicine? <laughs> no. Go home. Ooh. I mean, you read what the side effects might be. But beloved, you trust your doctor. If you Listen, if you, if you don't trust your pastor, you need to go find one that you do trust. But we need to trust whom God has put over us to guide us. Listen, your primary concern in times of, and I think James again is talking about a grave sickness or illness. Your primary concern in times of grave sickness should not be for your body, but for your soul. And that's why God brings us into those times of sickness. Even minor sicknesses that stop us in our tracks, God is teaching us about the mortality of our lives and the briefness of this life. Thomas Manton wrote this, Sickness is God's messenger to call us to meet with God. Even sniffles. We ought to know that if God doesn't heal me, then I may die. Listen, your faith in God, in your heavenly Father, should provoke you, if you're gravely ill, to call for your pastor's in those times, to call and ask for prayer. Now you might say, why can't anybody pray for me? Why can't I ask anybody to pray for me? You can, and you should. In fact, we, we put it on our Facebook prayer page, pray for so-and-so. I heard it today, we, we were praying for certain people. In fact, you know, most times we pray for people that I, I don't even know. That's fine, there's nothing wrong with that, but our principal concern should be for their souls to pray that they would know the Lord Jesus Christ. And if they know you and know me and we're the ones bringing the request, then they should certainly know the Lord Jesus Christ. So yes, anybody can pray for you and we should pray for you. But again, why must I call for my pastors? I use that word must. You should. Your faith in what God has written should move you, provoke you to call your pastors because God has appointed them to shepherd and care for your soul again. To speak the word unto you, to admonish you, to teach you. God's given them to you to minister to you until your departure in death. And when your pastors come, it's the whole church is engaged in prayer for you. And so you should. You should call for them. Now listen, sadly in the age of technology and of online sermons, the importance of the local church and pastoral care has been greatly diminished. I'm not against sermon audio. I'm not against, you know, 
online sermons when someone's sick. But sadly, the role of pastors has been greatly diminished in our day. Christians all too often depend more on the celebrity pastors, celebrity preachers, YouTube and online preachers rather than on their pastors and their churches. Beloved, if you're a member of a local New Testament church, that men or men have been called to shepherd you. Not the celebrity preacher online. Again, there's nothing wrong with listening to messages. But for a lot of Christians out there, their principal means of getting spoken to is online and not in their local church. And it should be. Or it should be in the local church. Listen, I've said this before, I'll say it again. Sitting in front of a computer screen and listening to online sermons principally is not gathering with the saints. That's not church. You don't go to church online. You gather with the saints. There are things that won't happen sitting and watching a computer sermon. And then if that's what you do, well then what do you do with James 5.14? Who are you going to call when you're sick? You're going to call your celebrity preacher to come? No. Listen, James in this passage brings a different but very important aspect of praying into plain view for us. There are times when we need our pastors to come and pray for us. And that's what we need to see here. And again, although you and I ought to be a praying people and we ought to always be praying for one another, there are times when you will need this. Listen, there's a time when I may be laying in the bed and I'm in my last hours and I want a pastor or pastors, it'll be Brother Randy, and maybe some of you men to come and pray over me and come and minister to me. Now, I know everybody wants to get to the oil, so we'll get to that. Praying pastors and the anointing of the one who is sick with oil. Now, I believe this was olive oil. When you look it up, that's what it means, olive oil. Now, <clears throat> listen, I can tell you that I have personally never done this. I have never anointed someone with oil. I do know that some pastors do and have anointed the sick with oil. And I don't, I'm not opposed to that at all. Is there extra power dispensed from God because I have anointed someone with oil? No. In fact, James even says the prayer of faith, not the oil. He says the prayer of faith shall save the sick, that is, if it's God's will, to heal them. Listen, your elders and your pastors have no power to stop death when God calls for your soul. <clears throat> There's not a medicine or a prescription or a doctor that can stop that when God says, time to take this one back. But if you're gravely ill and in danger of dying, you should call for your pastors to come and pray over you, to pray for you. So what of the anointing oil? What of the anointing oil? What of the anointing? The Catholic, the Roman Catholic Church has what they call extreme unction or the last rites where they'll come and a Catholic priest will anoint the dying one with oil. Praying for healing, but mainly that their sins might be forgiven before they die. Beloved, this is detestable and abhorrent to the Lord our God. Listen, olive oil and a Catholic priest administering a last rite will not and cannot forgive sins. It won't. Only by faith alone 
in the precious blood of Christ will your sins be forgiven. Only sola Christo by Christ alone. So what of the oil? And again, this was olive oil. I'm not opposed to this at all. Anointing the sick and dying saint with oil. James says, let the elders pray over the sick one, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And if it's God's will, he'll heal the sick. <clears throat> Here's my questions. And I'll tell you that this is where I'm at right now. Where do I anoint them? On the forehead, on the wrist, on the arms. I don't know that. And then the question arises, is there efficacy in the oil? And we know there's not. Let me show you some passages. Turn to Luke chapter 10. You probably know where I'm going. Luke chapter 10 and verse 33. <clears throat> Listen, in the time when James wrote this, there were still some miraculous healings. Olive oil in that time was medicinal and it was used for medicinal reasons. We see this of the, the Samaritan that went by and there was the man that was wounded. He was beaten and the priest and the Levite went by and didn't help him. Verse 33 says a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came where he was, that is the man that was dying and injured. When he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took oil or he took out two pence and he gave them to the host and said unto him, take care of him and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. And so he used oil mixed with wine, and it was to treat the wound. It was, it was medicinal. Look at Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 5, the book of Isaiah. So is your prescription or your, your antibiotics perhaps, or your ointment that you get for, for something like a, a wound is medicinal, so perhaps this is what the olive oil's for. Isaiah 1.5, the prophet writes, Why should you be stricken any more? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even unto the head there is no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores they have not been closed neither bound up neither mollified with ointment and so we see there's that case now in second kings and isaiah we won't turn there but hezekiah was sick unto death you remember that story and he prayed he turned his face toward the wall and Isaiah came, in fact, Isaiah came in first and he said, put your house in order, you're going to die. And he turned around and walked out. I mean, you can imagine that. This is the prophet of God. You're about to die. So God told me to come tell you that. He turns around and walks out. While he turns around and walks out, Hezekiah turns toward the wall and weeps. And he asks God to heal him. Well, Hezekiah's prayer got God's attention. God stopped Isaiah, said, go back and bring a lump of figs, smash them up and make a plaster, and put them on the ulcerated sore that he had, and I'm adding to him 15 years. So he went in and did that. So you say, well, there was a means of healing Symbolize that God would heal him. And then take the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about this. In John chapter 9, you remember the man that was blind from his birth? John chapter 9, man blind from his birth. Now, we know that the Lord Jesus could simply have said, 
receive your sight. In fact, the, the Lord Jesus did heal like that. But in this case, he chose to spit in some dirt, some clay, and he rubbed it, and he rubbed it in the guy's eyes. He rubbed it in the blind man's eyes. And you might think, well, how's that going to help him to see? And the Lord took his spit, rubbed it, and he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And he came again seeing. Now, I don't understand that. But for whatever reason, the Lord used, and I know there's some spiritual implications in there that we won't talk about, because I don't really understand that completely. But the Lord rubbed that in his eyes, and he washed, and he came seeing. One more Go to Mark 7, 31. Well, I'll show you this one. Mark chapter 7 and verse 31. This is the man that couldn't see or speak. I'm sorry. Couldn't hear or speak. So notice it says, Again, departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, he came into the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his finger fingers into his ears. So you kind of get the picture of this. Jesus put his fingers in the man's ears. And he spit and touched his tongue. Well, that ain't going to work with COVID-19. But you think about this scene. And he touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed. And he said, That is, be opened. And straightway, that is immediately, his ears were opened and the string of his tongue was loosed and he spake plain. I ask you, did, did Christ need to use his spit and stick his fingers in his ears? <clears throat> nope. We see several where he said to the man, the, the man that couldn't walk, arise, take up your bed and walk. He commanded it. And so, beloved, there's no efficacy in the oil do I think it was medicinal at that time? Yeah, I do. Do I think that's what it means? I'm not sure. Am I opposed to anointing someone that's sick and dying with oil? No, I'm not. And I may. But I want to do that in faith. Here's what I don't want, is people to think that there's efficacy in the oil. No, James tells us the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And again, that's if it's God's will. Because listen, it's not God's will to raise up every sick and dying person off of their deathbed. <clears throat> listen, we know Lazarus was raised out of the tomb, right? But one day soon thereafter, Lazarus died. And no, Jesus didn't go call him. He died. And so, beloved, Paul even said of Trophimus, you remember that? 2 Timothy 4.20, he says... You know what? I'm coming to see you and I've left Trophimus at Miletus sick. Why didn't you heal him, Paul? Epaphroditus was sick unto death. And so, beloved, sickness will come. And in those times when, when sickness comes and it's a sickness unto death, which... Listen, our bodies start breaking down and one day that's going to be us and God's not going to raise us up. We're going to go the way of all the earth. But listen, I think with that thought in mind, I think too many people, Christians, depend solely on doctors and medicines. While God, no doubt, has given us medicines and doctors, that's true, as a means toward healing. If God doesn't grant healing... All the doctors and medicines in the world will avail nothing, nor will being anointed with oil.
It's the prayer of faith. James says, shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And again, that is if the Lord, if it's the Lord's will to raise that sick one up. And then he says, if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Of course, there's the extreme unction and the Catholic last rite of them being forgiven for all of their sins. But consider how often you have been sick. Just back to that thought of being sick. Consider how often you have been sick and God has raised you up and made you well again when you didn't pray at all. That's convicting to me. I've been sick a lot of times and I depend on Mucinex and vitamin C. Shame on me. No, beloved. God sends sickness to our bodies so that we might turn our attention to our never dying souls. Every time you get sick, that's what it should do to you. When we are healthy in our bodies, oftentimes we are prone to stray from God. And we may pride ourselves that we wash our hands and we're not going to get sick, but don't worry. God will make you sick. And that's his design so that you would consider your never-dying soul and tend not only to your body, but mainly to your soul. And again, God often uses serious sicknesses or physical suffering to stop us in our tracks. Sometimes we may be sick and still function, but sometimes God stops us in our tracks and guess what? We're on our backs and we can do nothing else but think of our God. But how often when we lie on our backs that we don't think of our God? Again, God will use sickness to reveal our sins to us if we have sin. And again, this is another reason to call for your pastors. Because they care for your soul. And they will tell you sometimes things that you need to hear that maybe you wouldn't hear if you weren't on your back. Sometimes we need to be put on our backs so that we'll listen. Because there are times when we won't listen. And so God stops us. Look at Hebrews 13 in verse 7, and then one more passage in 1 Thessalonians. We were just in 13.17, but if you look at 13.7, he says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God. See that? Your, your pastor should do that for you, in public and in private, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5.12, if you back up there, 1 Thessalonians 5.12. And remember we talked about sometimes people are very overly private. And listen, that's a balance that I want to keep. I've told Randy this. I've told some of you this. I don't want to get too deep into your lives because I think that could come under the heading of lording over God's heritage. Listen, you need to live your Christian life. I'm not going to supervise your life. But you need to know when to call for your pastor. And you need to know them which labor among you. And they need to know you. There needs to be some confidence. Listen, we live in a day and age when people typically have no confidence and trust in pastors. And that's because of some of the things we've seen in the churches today where pastors have lost trust. Listen, that shouldn't be in our church, beloved. First Thessalonians 5 Notice there verse 12, and we beseech you, brethren, to know. It means to cherish, to pay attention, and to regard. To know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. And so, God will use sickness to reveal our sins to us. But listen, serious sickness does not always mean that there is unrepentant sin in your life. It may simply mean that God is focusing your attention on Christ, your Lord and Savior, and he's preparing you for death, eternal life, and the judgment to come. And he's giving you that time, perhaps for you to be a witness to those who are your family who are lost. If you're lost here today, if you're not a Christian, 
you're gravely ill and you don't realize it. You have a spiritual sickness that is killing you and it's called sin if you're lost. Well, you need to call for one that is a pastor, call for one that is a Christian. You need to believe Christ to the saving of your soul. Right now, if you're lost and you're outside of Christ, you, have, you do not have a pastor. And the more reason for you to repent of your sins and believe Christ. And then finally, we said this, God doesn't always will that you will be saved. And listen, he says that last part of James, I don't want to skip over that, the last part of James, if he have sinned, they shall be forgiven him. If ye have sinned, they shall be forgiven him. There is no priest or man that can absolve you of your sins. Beloved, that's, listen, if in your sickness God reveals to you that you've sinned, well, that's where you confess. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. <coughs> Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and God will have mercy upon him. And that's, beloved, what we should do. Listen, the sick bed is a place of mercy and it's a place where God speaks to his people. And so, beloved, remember that. But again, God doesn't always heal our infirmities. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul besought the Lord three times to remove that sickness that he had, that affliction. And God said basically no. He, he lived with that affliction. God said my grace is sufficient for you. So in closing, I bring you back to Psalm 62. Trust in him at all times, ye people of God. Pour out your hearts before him. Pray at all times. You should pray at all times. Listen, I'm looking out at all of you. One day, it'll be you or me. You're going to be laying in your deathbed. Or you'll be gravely sick. Call for your pastors to pray for you. It's a time when God gives us to focus our attention singly and solely upon Him. Yes, seek out the ambulance. Yes, go to the doctor. But don't forget to call your pastors to pray for you. Listen, your doctors watch for your body. Your pastors watch for your souls. But how often do we want medicine and not prayer? I pray that's not the case. Listen, I've been guilty of that. Not that we don't want to pray, but it's seen that we trust in the medicine rather than in God. So, so often we want medicine and not prayer. We want the doctor and not our pastor. We want the hospital and not the church. No, beloved. We need to trust God. Because one day the doctor is not going to be able to do anything. And he's going to look at your family and say, there's nothing more that I can do. And you're going to go the way of all the earth. If you're lost, I pray that those words would resonate with you and you would turn from your sins now. So that if you do come to a time of sudden death, that you will be ready to meet your God. Amen. Let's dismiss in prayer. Father, we pray that you would help us, Father. Oh God, even in this passage, Lord, we know that <clears throat> we live in bodies that will die, bodies that are dying now. We're mortals, Father, and yet we have a never-dying soul. Oh God, one day, if you tarry and do not return, one day our family and friends will bury us and father our souls will separate from our bodies they will return from you who gave them to us and our bodies will go back to the earth oh god i pray that we would consider this i pray that we would not only consider it but that we would father we would do business with thee and our souls that we would not 
neglect our souls. For the lost especially, Father. Oh God, I pray for any who are lost. That, Father, you would convict them of their sin. That they have sinned against you. Father, that you would convict them that they have no overseer. They don't have a primary care pastor. Oh, they have doctors. And Father, I pray that you would speak as only you can, Father. We thank you so much for your kindness to us. Thank you for your word. Father, forgive us for our sins in sinning in this thing that we've spoken of. I pray, Father, that we would our chief and primary trust would always be in Thee, O God. And we'll give You the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Turn to that Psalm 62. I'll teach you that song if you don't know it. I know there's a few people that know this Scripture song. <clears throat> and listen, as always, if there's anything, questions, concerns, anxieties, fears that any of you have, Brother Randy, myself, and there's other men here that will be glad to speak to you about the Lord Jesus. Psalm 62, let's see, it starts in verse 5. <clears throat> I know my wife knows it, Diana knows it. Uh, who knows this? Okay, there's a couple of us. Just follow us, follow along. Here we go. <clears throat> My soul wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. Trust in Him at all times, ye people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. God has spoken once. Verse 11. Twice have I heard this. That power belongeth unto God. Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy. For thou renderest to every man according to his works. In God is my salvation and my glory, verse 7, the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. 11, God has spoken once. Twice have I heard this. That power belongeth unto God. Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy. For thou renderest to every man according to his works. Amen.